As you find a seat, we'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. And as they're doing that, I invite you, if you uh, brought a Bible with you or have it on some sort of device, that you would open it up to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, the very end of the book, chapter 34 of Deuteronomy. We've been in this uh, little series called The Way of Jesus, and we're going to pause a little bit about that today, uh, from that today. We will mention a little of it. Um, pick it back up again next week. We're going to pause just to remember a little bit. Um, nine years as a church, as of course you've heard, we're, ce- we're celebrating and we're going to have some cupcakes later to celebrate. I thought about this a lot as it was getting closer. Um, one of the gifts of getting older is the view that God gives you when you pause to remember. And many of you know that that's true. When you look back on your life, when you look back at stages of your life where your kids may have been, you remember. When I was thinking about nine years as a church, I thought, man, has it been that long? Isn't it weird how time can go by seemingly fast and really slow at the same time? In a way, it's been a really long, hard nine years. Uh, we've been mobile the entire time, which means that we come in and set up uh, the curtains and the kids' area every week. Cases being broken, trailers not working, all the things, right? We've been in four different locations, and in a way, it feels like we've been doing this for 50 years, um, I saw this meme the other day of this pastor. I thought this was really good. It said, who said pastoring a church is stressful? I'm 42 and feeling great, right? Um, I think I would look much older than that. Sometimes a couple weeks ago, we were trying to teach uh, Hudson how to ride a bike without his training wheels. And so we're out there pushing him on his bike, and he's got the little... The little hybrid training was, I don't know if these, they, they kind of give on both sides to kind of train your kid how to learn how to ride the bike without training wheels, and we're pushing, and he has no interest in it. He got a new bike for Christmas, doesn't really care that much. And I said, Hudson, man, you're about to be seven, bro. You've got to learn how to ride your bike without training wheels. Your neighbor around the corner, John Luke, much younger than you, he already knows. And he said, Dad, I know that I'm almost seven, but my bike age is four. My bike age is four. Like, what does that even mean? Sometimes I feel like my church planting age is 90 uh, in a way. But then also in a way, it seems like it goes by pretty quickly, right? Just like, seems just like yesterday that uh, I told you Hudson's almost seven. We had Hudson coming back from what, like his five-day-old uh, doctor appointments and stopping in. We were meeting at the BIC up the road. Stopping in, sitting in the back, and worshiping with uh, my faith family. It brings, restores my soul. I found some pictures of us early in the day when I was a lot skinnier and Jason had a lot more hair. Um, you can go to the next one. This is our buddy Jesse. We'll come back to that. We'll go to the next one. Um, just really cool to look back and just think about what God has done. There's this passage in uh, Deuteronomy 34 I want to read to you. This is the end of life of Moses. Now, if you've been with us, tracking with us very long, 
you know that uh, we went through the book of Exodus, and so you've been introduced to the story of Moses, and even if you haven't been with us, you, most people are familiar with Moses and the Ten Commandments and the whole, the whole thing. And Moses does this incredible thing, and God moves in this incredible way. And we went all the way through the book of Exodus, and it kind of pained me a little bit that we stopped there because we didn't see exactly how it all played out. But this is the end of Moses' life. In verse 1 of chapter 34, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite of Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan and Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. And I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of God. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial that day. Moses was 120 years old when he died, and his eye was undimmed, and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days, and then the weeping of and mourning of Moses were ended. If you can get this picture of Moses standing on the top of Mount Nebo, he has this incredible view in front of him and behind him. As he would turn back and maybe stretch his neck a little bit to look backward, he can see all that God had done through his obedience. As he looked back toward Egypt, where the people, all these people had come from, and he could remember how God miraculously saved his life when he was a baby, as Pharaoh had ordered the murder of all the Hebrew male children. Of course, he remembered how God sustained him in the house of Pharaoh as he grew up being raised by Pharaoh's daughter and the miraculous thing of Moses' own mother began to working, working in the palace. He remembered how God sustained him all of those years. Then he would certainly, of course, it's got to remember the burning bush, how God spoke to him in a bush that was burning but yet not being burned, not being consumed. How God spoke to him and sent him to be his mouthpiece to the Hebrew people, to save them from the hand of Pharaoh, displaying this incredible supernatural might through the plagues, how God miraculously parted the Red Sea, the armies of Egypt behind them, nowhere to go but in the sea, and yet because of God's supernatural work, they were able to walk across on dry land. How God fed them with manna in the desert and calls water to pour from a rock so they wouldn't be thirsty and God helped them prevail against every enemy that would come upon them and he would continue to feed them with manna and then quail and on and on. What an incredible view of God's faithfulness. And then Moses, as the text tells us, he looks forward to where the people of God would one day head this, <coughs> excuse me, this promised land. Stretching his neck forward, he could see the promised land in front of them, this great land that God had promised hundreds of years earlier, a place where Israel would find refuge and would find nourishment and they would multiply. It says in verse 1 that the Lord showed him the land. Although it was just a stone's throw away 
At that point, Moses would not see the fulfillment of that promise. As the text says, that Moses died in the presence of a faithful God who always kept his promises. What a life. What an end. I love that it emphasizes that part that his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated as a 120-year-old. Isn't that incredible? And in view of that perspective, and we're going to come back to the text in a minute, I want to celebrate God's gifts of grace to covenant out loud. To take some time to look backward to what God has done and then forward at what, is, what God is stirring in our heart even now as we might do. And as I look backward, I see a landscape dotted with the grace of God. So many times where God has rescued me from my own sin and error or the error and sin of even other people, God's grace has been so present in my life and the life of our people. So many times he's provided for us again and again when we had no idea how we might do it. I've just numerous times sitting around the table with Jason and some of our stewardship team and praying, man, we don't have the money. We don't know what we're going to do. We're going to start docking salaries and Man, we don't want to do this, but I, I, maybe we might be forced to call some of these mission partners and tell them that we just can't move forward. And yet God has always come through, always come through as we prayed. He's been so faithful to us. More occasions than I can count, trouble on every side, and God's grace rushed in and parted the proverbial sea that's in front of us so that we would walk through and see his provision as he's with us every step of the way. I want to remember a few of these things together and then dream for a minute about our future. When I, I texted some of the people who've been with us a while and served in different various positions in our church, what stands out to you as we remember what God has done in and amongst us? One of the first things that almost everyone says was our heart for the homeless and poor. You can put that picture of Jesse back up there. This is Jesse um, Holden Hayes, I think, Jason's firstborn. We started at the BIC, which is just right up the road on Airline Drive, and uh, we really felt the Lord like leading us to move a church downtown, and that's the dumbest thing that you can ever do is move a church from Bozier to Shreveport and then from Shreveport back to Bozier. Our people are so confused. For a while, we had the little mantra, if you can find us, you're welcome to worship with us. Um, when we moved downtown, uh, Jesse uh, was a homeless a uh, guy sleeping in front of the door that we would have to go into, and uh, he was a big guy, and uh, a couple of times, uh, Jason woke him up and startled him, and they both, you know, fist up. I didn't know what was fixing to happen there. We slowly began to invite Jesse inside for some coffee. Actually, before Jesse, there was no coffee at Covenant Church, but he wanted coffee in the mornings, and so we made him some. And he would come in and sit with us, and he became like one of our own family members, and we opened up our home to him, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and helped him find a job. And I mean, who knows how many of you in here took Jesse to work and went and picked Jesse up on the way home from work, um, helped him put resumes together, on and on. Jesse passed away a couple years ago from a seizure, but he changed our church. He gave us a face of homelessness and poverty that we had not known before. In the past five years, one of the things that Jesse told us was that there was no food downtown on Sunday nights. 
that most every other night of the week you could find food. You could go somewhere to the rescue mission or to the Methodist church or some church was providing food, except for Sundays. He said Sundays is when everyone's hungry because you can't find any food downtown. And we're like, well, we as a church can fix that. So we started serving food on Sunday nights, and we've kept that up for more than five years. Just a roundabout number since meeting Jesse, our church has served about 6,000 meals to homeless and those in poverty. And the numerous conversations we've had, we've seen people come to faith, we've helped people like Jesse get off the streets and enter a rehabilitation program through the hub and on and on we could talk about, but all that came from Jesse being introduced to our life. I really believe that God really moved in our heart to move us downtown just to meet him. It wasn't about the, the destination, it was about the journey that we were on with him and what God was doing in our heart and life. We've also seen a culture of adoption and fostering. And many of you have been really involved in that, right? Started with the Spears and then Jason and many others and on and on it's gone. Gone this incredible way that our church has rallied around those who are called to this specifically of adopting, adopting and fostering and providing respite care. And we've created a team for this, and we've raised money for this, and we're still raising. We've got three or four families right now that are in the process of walking through, starting this process of adoption and fostering, and it's just incredible. A couple of weeks ago, Lindsay Willis stood up here to thank us for our participation in helping uh, her and Michael go and get Liam. And she said something that really blew my mind, that just from our church, from all the fundraisers that they did, but from our church, that we helped them raise $20,000 which is incredible from our church this small, what God has done. This culture of adoption and fostering, and I know God is still at work in many of your hearts, and that may be something he's even calling you to today. I, I think about our church, I think about a love for the word of God. From the beginning, our goal was to make much of what God makes much of. And we, we believe wholeheartedly that you know who God is by knowing who Jesus is. Hebrews says he's the exact imprint of God. And we know who Jesus is through the written word of God as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see its truth and illuminates that truth. And so we begin preaching through the word of God. And in the beginning, a lot of you weren't here, and you, you should be glad probably, because I was preaching about 55 minutes a sermon, and you endured that. It took us nearly four years to walk through the gospel of Luke. How incredible is that? And I would do it again. I loved it and learned so much. I love that you love God's word and you don't demand or even expect <clears throat> for us to break it into simplistic phrases or package in little clever series. Not that those things are bad, but more and more, if I say in a sermon, hey, I better, I better finish because I don't have time. I get three or four emails that week, say, pastor, take all the time you need. Now, what church tells their pastor that? But a desire to know the word and apply the word for it to be heard and obeyed week in and week out. I love that in our kids' ministry, we started another equipping class last week that Tracy's leading, helping our kids learn and love and memorize God's word on a weekly basis. I love our sense of family. I have no idea how many meals we've prepared or taken to other people in nine years. I feel like just my family, we've made a thousand meals at least, <clears throat> but not just the meals, you know, just growing since the family. We planted this church. I came from kind of a, a mega church background and um, 
it was, it was big and there was a lot of moving parts. And a lot of times if we weren't careful, it was really hard to people feel really connected to one another. So we planted this church. That was one of our large aims was we want, we want to be a family and a team and a rescue ship. <clears throat> Having real relationships that go, back, go past the public persona and the Instagram feed. And in many living rooms, you've shared your deepest pain, shed tears in prayer circles and counseling appointments. And listen, all of that in spite of me, right? If you know me, you know that I don't know what to do with tears. Like when you start crying on me, and, and people do, I'm just like, okay there, champ. I just, I really just don't even know what to do. Inside, I'm like empathetic. I just don't know what that, for my outside to do. When I got engaged to Ashley, it, it was a phenomenal day. I had been planning it up. You know, I took her to the place that we met. We got engaged in a church parking lot. Isn't that romantic? Of all places, um, it was not romantic. I mean, it kind of is, but anyway, so we're in the car, and she's like crying and looking at her ring, and she looked over at me, and she says, aren't you happy? I was like, yes, I'm happy. I'm thrilled. And she said, well, tell your face. And I was like, I, I'm trying. I don't know how to tell the face how to do this. So if you're crying and I, and on me and I just look like I don't care, I do care. I just don't know how to tell you. I'll just give you the good job, champ. I don't know how to do it. Nevertheless, in spite of me, people have been opening up and letting themselves be known and sharing struggles and generational patterns of sin and destruction and inviting Jesus into those things to move in an incredible way in their lives. I mean, real family. We were looking at the little slideshow that you saw playing before. We'll play it again afterwards last night. and Just seeing how many people has come in and out of our church because of moving or stage of life or God's call or and Ashley just over there getting real emotional seeing all these people that you invest your life in and then they move away she said I, I know I know you could probably do this again but I couldn't like watching that just like hurts my soul because it's a family and that's what the church is supposed to be leaving a church family is not like changing church it's like ripping off an arm we're the body of Christ together. I love our pursuit of discipleship as a church. This has been our main metric where we evaluate what kind of job we're doing. This is our scorecard. Are we really making disciples of Jesus? That is, when people see our lives and the lives of our people at its best and at worst, when life really squeezes us, do we look more like Jesus? Are we walking in the ways of Jesus? Now, most of you might think that this is what most every church pursues, but it's not. There's a myth that disciple-making will just take care of itself or that it'll just come naturally, but that's just a myth. Discipleship in the way of Jesus takes great intention and great pursuit. You can't become a disciple of Jesus without changing everything about your daily life. We can't continue to go about our lives as normal and expect that we're going to be conformed into the way of Jesus. That's just not how it works. We like to use the phrase invitation and challenge. That's the way that Jesus made disciples. He invited them into his life. And they said, hey, when the disciples of John came and saw Jesus and said, hey, are you the Messiah? He invited them, hey, come and see. 
invitation and yet always ready to speak truth to them, very hard and difficult truths at times, takes invitation and challenge to grow in a discipleship relationship. Discipleship happens in the context of relationships, really knowing each other in the good and bad times and yet challenging each other with the gospel on a consistent basis. As Proverbs says, iron sharpening iron. If you're not in a discipleship relationship, I would encourage you to take a step of faith and find someone. Find me afterwards and say, hey, I would love for someone to disciple me and we'll try to connect you with someone I love our church's heart for the kingdom. You know, the posture of our church, the posture of our heart should always be kingdom first and then church second. Meaning that we will always give away some of our best people to go and start new churches, to bring the gospel to new places. I think this tested us the most when we planted Shreveport Church about 18 months ago. At that point, we literally commissioned a third of our people to leave this gathering to go over and start a new independent church over in Shreveport. And many of you are still helping them, and you're serving in kids, and you're giving financially to help them, and they're off to a good start. Just last week, Claire asked me, uh, Dad, why did we do that? Why did we send all those people over to Shreveport? Couldn't they just keep driving to Bossier? They just seemed so simple. I'm so passionate about church planting, I just kind of unloaded it on her. Because new churches reach new people. Because new churches incarnate the gospel in new places and new communities. Ultimately, because Jesus told us in the Great Commission that we were always to go. And the best way, even research has found, for us to reach new people for Christ is to plant more and more churches. Leads to the generosity of our people. If you haven't noticed, there's some people in here that are so incredibly generous. As a church, we're nearly double the average giving of evangelical churches in the U.S. per person. And that's not because we make a whole lot more, no. It's because our people are generous and sacrificially generous. We set a goal several years ago that we wanted to get to a place where we could give away 50% of everything that we brought in. I don't know any other church that does that. I know some churches that are trying Last year, we were able to give 37% of everything that came into our church away. Isn't that incredible? To mission needs outside of our church, to people who are reaching the unreached people groups in Southeast Asia, to church planters all over the world, to people who are going over to adopt and foster, to local ministries like The Hub that are providing rescue for those that are homeless and in extreme poverty and on and on. I love the rescue ship mentality of our church. When we started the church, we said we were going to be a family, a team, and a rescue ship. And I I love that picture of rescue ship as opposed to cruise ship, right? A cruise ship is all about your comfort, your desires. You've been on a cruise. It's pretty incredible. Just the food, the 24-hour pizza buffet, uh, room service, exotic locations, these adventurous excursions. But a rescue ship purposely heads into choppy water because that's where people need rescue. And this is the heart of Jesus. He said that of himself, that he came for the last, the lost, and the least. And now he sends us out to the world. We have a decision, church, every day. Every day we have a decision to make if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to have the heart of Jesus for the last, the lost, and the least. Are we going to be on a cruise ship chasing the comfort of the world 
on a rescue ship, ship seeking the last, the lost, and the least. One of our dear friends that was with us a while, a military couple, we've reached a lot of military people over the years, Chris and Holly Loxton, he sent me a message a while back. I wanted to read part of it to you. It was really encouraging. They had been moved from covenant, and man, God did some incredible things in their life and in their marriage. He sent me this message. Hey, man, I wanted to pass along. I've been thinking about you guys a lot at covenant, and we really miss you guys and your Sunday mornings. He said, I took a lot of pride that I never once fell asleep while you were preaching. Not everybody can say that. You and Ashley in the church, you've built with your team are just truly one of a kind. Since we've left, it's been difficult finding a new home, and I find myself having to temper expectations. He says, I don't know if I'll ever find a place as fitting for us as Covenant was, but I also began to realize that that's okay because that's not really the point. Comfort and warmth is not the point. You and Jason and the team have built the church based on the notion of rescuing those in need not cruising along to provide a feel-good environment. And I'm coming to the realization that our time at Covenant was to ready ourselves for our future endeavors such as this so that we can be an extension, he writes, in a sense of that rescue ship mentality. Anyway, tell the people of Covenant that we miss you. We're praying for you. Friends, God's done some incredible things in our past. And of course, there are many more to tell. As we look back, we're remembering is a real spiritual discipline. And again, it's not something that I do well. I'm always the to-do list, what's next, what's next. But days like this kind of force us just for a little bit to step back and remember. Back to Moses on the mountain. Moses on the mountain looking back at all that God had done and then looking forward, there's Three things that really stand out that I think that we apply to our lives even as we leave here today. One, that God keeps his promises. Part of worshiping by remembering all that God has done and emphasizing that, we remember the faithfulness of God. Maybe you just take just a minute just to think back at God's faithfulness. Maybe you can remember coming to faith as a child or a teenager, an adult, and you can think about all the times that God has just proven himself faithful again and again. Even when you didn't know what he was doing, even though you didn't know what was up, even when you came against your own Red Sea and you had no idea how God was going to come through, and yet he does. Again and again, God is faithful. He keeps his promises. But not just that, not just that he keeps his promises. You see also that God sustains his people. Again, I love that part that it says that his eyes didn't grow dim. He never lost his vigor. I'm only 40 and I feel like I lose vigor by the day. I got less today, a lot less today than I even had yesterday. Again, as we were talking yesterday, Ash and I just struck about how hard this has been difficulties we walk through just in our own lives. Walking through infertility, walking through a miscarriage, walking through dear friends that betrayed us and people who talk bad about you. Then there's just the people that don't measure up and the times that we ourselves don't measure up. If 
you're not careful, there's this like overwhelming feeling of disappointment. But the point is not the pain in the past. The point is how God has sustained us through everything. Look at how God has sustained you through the journey. How in your lowest points, he brought people beside you. How on your most difficult days, someone calls. Or you even feel the grace of God lifting you up kind of right where you are because other people are praying. How God has been near to you in the broken moments. How he sustains you every step of the way. All the victories and disappointments, all the seasons of hardship and the seasons of fruitfulness. Think about how God has sustained you and been with you every step. Whether you were running for him, from him or running toward him, God has sustained. Just as he did Moses. A third thing from the text is that God's mission is moving forward. I didn't read this part, but at the end of this, the last bit of eight in verse nine, Moses dies, the text reads, and the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. In a sense, Moses, this great rescuer, you would think when Moses dies, then it's, then it's done, like it's all over. And yet his death just gets a sentence or two, and then it says, and then God's, God's promises kept being delivered, and God kept sustaining his people. Moses dies and the people mourn and then it's time to get moving again. Look, here's this guy named Joshua who God has waiting in the wings and God has promised that the kingdom of God and the church and the bride of Christ will continue growing in number and in maturity and that the very gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. What an incredible promise. This promise is for you and for us that church, we can't quit now. We should be emboldened to keep pressing on, knowing that God goes before us and that God goes with us and that God comes in behind us. As we look back on 2019, there were probably some things about the year that you don't want to walk through again. They were painful and ugly. Real pain and disappointment. But don't get hung up there. Learn what you need to, then look ahead. There are more mountains to claim. More promises to trust in, more joy to be experienced, more people to reach for Christ, more disciples to be made, more missionaries sent out, more people groups to be reached, more churches to be planted, more neighbors to be loved on, more meals to be brought, more kids to be adopted. This is just a taste of what God has done and I believe what he wants to do. There's this incredible passage in Ephesians 3, which I put on the title slide, this phrase, far more. This is one of those verses you probably have written on a coffee cup at home. It's incredible. Let me read it to you in verse 20. This is after Paul's been praying for this young church that they would have strength in the spirit. He says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This verse captured my 
mind and soul this week. Those words far more. Of all the things that I listed and all the things that I could have listed that God's done in my life and your life and in this church. And listen, I promise you it has not been because of me. I, I might want you to think that I'm this like wise leader in front. But every good thing this church has ever done happened by accident on my part. Like God just led us to it and we're like, oh, so that's, well, that's cool, God. I was reading this week of Nehemiah, how Nehemiah went back to repair a wall. And God did this incredible thing through the hands and faithfulness of Nehemiah. Because God was working, God accomplished more in 52 days through Nehemiah saying yes to him than in the whole 52 years previously. God did more in a few days. I pray that God would continue to do that. That God could do more in the next nine minutes than God has done collectively in the last nine years in our church. Isn't it incredible how God can move and work in the hearts of men and women like that? What is far more? We've seen God do some incredible things, but again, I think that there's far more in store. I've got some pretty big, only God kind of dreams, but God wants to do far more. Think of the craziest thing in your life, a burden that God has placed, like caring for single moms or caring for those that are aging, reaching out to those that are somehow caught up in the prostitution industry or sex trafficking. Just think about everything that's broken in this world and how God, the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to burden your heart about one of those things. Not so that we would sit on the sidelines, but that we would be an agent of change. And again, not because we have any skills to offer. No, it's in spite of anything that we can bring when we say yes to God that he begins to move and supernaturally through us to recreate the things that have been broken. Church, what's God stirring in your heart? What kingdom vision is he stirring in your heart? At what point do you just get so tired of the status quo, of the discontented with the lethargy and apathy that is in most of our lives, the chasing after comfort? When do we get tired of that? And actually resolve to follow God into some pretty difficult places as he begins to do far more than we could think or even imagine. Listen, we're at a time in history where the world is spiraling downward at an increasingly fast rate. No one knows what truth is anymore. At least they claim that everyone's truth is their own truth. Everyone's living for themselves. And you know what God's solution is for it? You. His solution is you. It's the church. That's what he says. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Isn't that incredible? The Holy Spirit in you, stirring in your heart to follow Jesus into some hard places so that he can do far more than you would think or even imagine. I'm going to invite uh, Philip to come up. He's going to Lead us in worship here in a minute. But before we do that, as we kind of close the service, most times we take communion. We're not doing that today. I want you to get out your little card that you were handed when you walked in. It's a testimony card. Now, listen, you don't have to put your name on this, but I, I am asking you that you would fill this thing out. And if, if you feel like you could, that you would actually put it in the basket at the end. Sean's going to walk through. If you didn't get one of those testimony cards, he would love to give you one. 
And we're going to give you some time. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. But we're going to give you some time just right now, right where you're at, as worshiping through response, just as I recalled out loud all the grace of God that's been evidenced to our church, I want you to do that on this little card for your own life. As you think about the past year, the past several years, maybe you would write, fill out that card, what God has done, what he's rescued you from. Feel free to take the back of that card and fill out anything that you would like, if you would like to tell the stories. It was incredible. We did this last year. We did it the year before. But the answers we got on this card last year were just unbelievable. People rescued from addiction, hurting themselves. I can't tell you how many came through that they were at a point of having suicidal thoughts, no hope, saved their marriages, on and on, just testifying to the work of God in people's lives. I'm going to pray for us, and I just want you to take a little time to fill that card out. God, thank you for your gift of mercy and grace. And I pray as we remember you, would you bring to our mind and our heart things that you've done? Things that we may have even forgotten that you did way back when. But even not just the things in the past, but things that you're going to do in the future. Lord, what you're stirring in our heart right now, would you bring those to our memory that we could testify of your grace in our lives? very real and tangible way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Feel free to go ahead and write. You might have thought during this whole service that I don't even know anything that Luke's talking about up there, but I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. What a great day today for you to step across the line of faith, to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'll be in the back if you'd like to come pray with me. Some of our prayer team will be back there as well. Phil's going to just kind of uh, play the guitar for a few minutes. Then he'll sing. And I would love for you to uh, put that card in the basket at the end of the service when it comes around so that we can rejoice and celebrate with you. Again, you don't have to put your name on it if you don't feel comfortable. And, of course, we'll keep all these things confidential unless we have your permission to connect you to someone else who might be struggling with the same thing. But Respond as God leads you to.